hello everyone and welcome to the fourth in the current series of podcasts on the theme of objectivity and neutrality in the archives. I'm John Peelan, Director of the Scottish Council on Archives, and today I'm delighted to welcome Sir Jeff Palmer, OBE, Professor Emeritus in the School of Life Sciences at Harriet Watt in Edinburgh, Scotland, and a leading human rights activist. Uh, Jeff is the leading proponent of the movement to reinterpret the Melville Monument. He argues that because Henry Dundas proposed an amendment to the House of Commons in 1792 to achieve abolition gradually rather than immediately, he delayed, he delayed abolition of the slave trade by 15 years. So, so today, really, I want to interview Jeff about his experience of, of, of researching uh, Scotland's connection to the slave trade and his experience being, being a user of archive services. So welcome, Jeff. Oh, good, good morning, and thanks for inviting me. So, Jeff, tell me a little bit about your background because it's it's really quite interesting and totally unconnected from everything I've just said. Um, okay. In, in terms of the, 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 the your, your 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 historical research, but maybe you could tell me a little bit about your background and career, and then how that's you know, particularly your your story as an anti-racism campaigner and your your interest in shining a light on Scotland's uh, colonial past and its links with slavery. Well, thank you for, for asking me. And um, I believe, you know, in all my work and in terms of my activism, as it's now called, um, education is, is critical, um, both for people to understand um, a, a story and also to understand um, um, other, other people. Now, I arrived in Britain in 1955. And um, to join my mother. And she sent for me to help her to work. And when I arrived, um, um, I couldn't go to work because I was 14 years and 11 months. Um, and, you know, you couldn't leave school then in London until you were 15. And that is where my education started in this country. Um, and without that one month, I wouldn't be speaking to you today. Now, um, and therefore my life is dependent on luck, but people's lives should not be dependent on luck. It's, you know, and a lot of black people's lives, um, you know, there is no planning as such because of the way we, our history, our slave history, and the way we live as migrant, um, uh, you know, and, and therefore, when I went to school, uh, my mother took me to school, I was designated educationally subnormal. That meant, you know, I was fitting in with David Hume's concept that Negroes are inferior to whites. That was 1753, this was 1955. However, I managed to get through the school system. I managed to eventually end up as professor in, in the university at Harriet Watt University, confounding Hume's concept. Um, however, what I believe in terms of my activism, the work I'm, I've done on slavery, is that I've, uh, I've used my research knowledge in terms of research on barley and, um, and my teaching of, 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 of science, that evidence is critical to win an argument or to defend a position. And therefore I've used that in my activism work with my work on slavery and with um, looking at Henry Dundas's statue 
and um, trying to get the council to change the narrative on it, which I believe was not true. And, um, and to do that, I relied on um, evidence which I, I got from you know, some work which I did in, in the early stages on, on, on abolition and slavery. I found a letter written by Gibson Craig, the MP, whose family owned Reckerton. And this letter I found in the archive at Harriet Watt University. And nobody has seen that letter since 1838. And it's because of the content where he said, we've just, to his father in that letter, um, we've just had the vote for the abolition of slavery and it was 93 to 96. And I voted for abolition and would do it again. Now, because I knew the history, that letter I found in the archive, I immediately recognized 93 and 96 as a vote. And the university has that letter now, I have a copy. But that was an important part of the beginning of my work on, on, on looking at the history of slavery. Now I've used other information like the Jamaica Telephone Directory. I've also recently with Dundas, um, my son is a dentist in London and he, he, he knows I'm deeply involved in this work. And he has accessed information from parliamentary sources, from um, uh, uh, looking at the internet of people who were um, selling um, original documents. Um, and therefore, as far as my work is concerned, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel challenged because I'm looking at Henry Dundas's speeches, you know, which he made in you know, the 1790s. I'm looking at documents um, which, um, uh, such as um, my, my letter, which Henry Dundas wrote uh, about going to oppose the abolition of the slave trade. I've got a letter where he says that. I've got a letter of him saying he's relating with the king's son um, in terms of buying slaves to um, uh, fight for the British army. He was the, the Secretary of State for War at that time, attacking Haiti. And, um, and why is that important, these documents, these archival documents I have? What I think um, we must change is where we have academics. And this has been happening for over 200 years, where academics are, you know, um, for some unknown reason, they're supporting concepts of Hume and Kant, you know, where Hume said, Negroes are inferior to whites and Kant, um, you know, but, you know, made it color coded in terms of race. And therefore, Negroes are black, Negroes are inferior to whites, the Negro race is inferior to the white race. And that's where we are today. We have academics trying to justify that. You know, for example, Henry Dundas is the perfect case of that, where, um, you know, he, um, in 1792, he 
he used the one word, gradual, to delay the abolition of the slave trade for 15 years. Wilberforce wanted immediate abolition. And he amended the bill and got it accepted that slavery, the slave trade should be gradually abolished. Now, the point is that um, we are now debating a statute today. My document says that he, 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 he you know, the slave trade was gradually uh, 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 abolished because he was defending the rights, the legal rights of slave owners. That's what my documents say. He was defending the legal rights and he put that to the parliament that, you know, these slave owners have got a legal right to have fresh slaves, you know, new slaves. Um, he also said it was important for the British economy, um, the slave trade. Um, and he, um, uh, uh, strategies to breed slaves, you know, young slaves. He even gave the age, you know, 21 and 16. Um, for uh, uh, 21 for men and 16 for um, women. He also was going to buy um, uh, 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 slaves to fight in the British army in Haiti, where Dundas lost 40,000 men. Now, I know that he wrote to Balcaris, his governor, and there's a Balcaris Street in Edinburgh. He wrote to Balcaris to say, you know, he's ordering him to buy slaves and Balcaris bought the slaves, the slaves fought. And once they had fought, they were re-enslaved. And Balcaris family even got compensation for them in 1833, 34. Now, that's the evidence I have. We now have historians who, because I'm saying Dundas's plaque should be changed and that he gradually abolished the slave trade for 50 years should be on the plaque. It's, it's not, nothing about slavery is on Dundas's plaque, nothing. And therefore my campaign has been um, that the plaque is not telling the truth and the truth is important for racism because people um, you know, who are prejudiced against, all they've got is the Hume comment, you know, um, Negroes are inferior to white, which is a prejudice which is not based on any evidence. And that's what killed George Floyd. That statement, the policeman in his hands in his pocket for over eight minutes, believed that Hume's right. And in our society with racism, that's still believed to be the case. And, and therefore I feel that the truth must be on the plaque if we're going to change attitudes. It, it may be a small thing, but to me, it was an important one. And I felt I had the evidence for this. Now, historians have come along and they've said that Dundas helped Joseph Knight, a, a servant, you know, between 1774 and 1778. That was a case in, 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 in Perth and Edinburgh. And they reeled that out to say, but Dundas, as Lord Advocate, pleaded for Knight. You know, he, he, he sort of um, 
you know, said night should be free. Well, of course, that's an English concept anyway. And the point is that what they left, leave out. So the archival evidence I have, looking at, say, the Caledonian Mercury newspaper from that period, which reported the case, which other historians have seen, that's where Dundas' statement um, comes from, 1776. And when I read that, it said, yes, Dundas was pleading for night on the basis that the English or the British air and the Scottish air, it, you know, the air doesn't support slavery, so he should be free. They leave out the archival evidence, which actually says that Dundas said, all black men are slaves in Jamaica. Therefore, what Dundas was doing was just trying to, you know, uh, have a case in Scotland, which was sort of equivalent to the Somerset case in England. You know, it's a sort of an English, Scottish, um, you know, sort of um, banter um, in terms of superiority. Um, and within that, Dundas and the judges actually said, if Knight went to Jamaica, he'd be a slave. Thus, they were reaffirming slavery in the Caribbean. They were reaffirming British slavery, and that's what Dundas did. But that case is used, and the family of um, the, the descendant of Henry Dundas has used that a few days ago, you know, to say, but Henry Dundas pleaded for Joseph Knight. And therefore, he was a good guy then. And that should be used to balance his gradual abolition. And they're saying now, gradual abolition, because it was gradual, it was abolition. So he's an abolitionist, you know? So he was a good guy with the Joseph Knight case, and he is an abolitionist because gradual is also an abolition concept. Now, the archival of evidence I, I have from the Caledonian Mercury is that that is just a, a, a ruse. The point is that he actually was supporting slavery in that statement. And we have an historian saying that was an eloquent speech that, you know, make, in, in, in Dundas made on behalf of Knight. It's a myth. And the evidence says it's a myth. Well, now, if, I... if we... Okay, come on in. Well, I was just going to 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 um, pick you up on that because you you've talked okay. a lot about archival evidence and yeah, yeah. and truth and that I'm really interested in in the idea of archival evidence providing you know, irrefutable proof and in in, uh, in your case of of the uh, the position of of, of Dundas, mm -hmm. I, but I think from what you're saying is is that that 18th century mindset um, is still here today in terms of yes. how it interprets um, you, what you seem to be fairly clear archival evidence, but it's interpreting in a, in a, with a mindset that's not that much different from the mindset of, of Hume and other, other, 19th, other 18th century characters. Absolutely. It, it, the fact is that they, and this is part of our problem today, and it, you know, when you're saying it, you're thinking, I can hear in the voice, you know, that, how can that be? Mm. The, the point is that, that when people look at that evidence, the evidence clearly says Dundas was speaking and, and, and whatever, 
but it's not been looked at in detail as, as, I, as you should do as a scientist. Because when you look at that evidence from say the Joseph Knight case, if you look at it very carefully, the fact is that in the one statement Dundas said, there are no slaves in Britain. There cannot be from his constitution. That's not really stated much by anybody that he said that. Because then that counters the case itself because a lot of people today are saying Joseph and uh, uh, Henry Dundas helped to abolish slavery in Scotland by the release of Joseph Knight. I, Dundas I, says there were no slaves in Scotland and there weren't any. Do, do you also think that maybe the part of the part of the mentality is that archives for, for a long time have been to preserve of historians in terms of how they're analyzed and researched and interpreted? Yeah. When you're an academic, you're you're an esteemed academic, and, and you've been, um, uh, you know, you you, you you've um, been given a knighthood for for the work that you've done. Mm -hmm. But in terms of your research in 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 terms of Scotland and and its connection to slavery, and particularly Hen Henry Dundas's uh, significant role in that, you're you're coming in as a, as a lay person, and and maybe that's wound up the historians potentially. Well, this is, you know, I've been referred to as a, as a, as a, a brewer. <laughs> I've been referred to as a, um, an, an, a, um, a, an activist. I've been referred to as a chemist. I've been referred to as, um, um, you know, um, a grain scientist. But the point is what I, I, I use to counteract that. And I've had a great debate with Sir Tom Devine, and you will see it in the mm in the Herald on Sunday a few, a few weeks ago. And, you know, he, 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 he didn't actually say that, but what he said was historians were trained. The implication is I'm not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the point is that I've got a doctor of science degree. That's a research degree. Mm -hmm. And research means you have a research concept mm -hmm. that you know how to look at things. You know what is evidence and what isn't. Yeah. And they don't. They don't have that. Well, and I, I suppose what this <laughs> highlights is that archives are, are not kept for just for researchers and historians. Um, uh -huh. they're, they're really for everyone to um, to, to examine. <laughs> but 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 one of the things that we've touched on. In, in they're early... not newspapers. They're not. No, I don't agree with that. I, I think that anything that is there is 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 is, is evidence. Mm -hmm. And you can read it as a story if you want. You know, the Darwin is a story, but it's also evidence. The, the, one of the one of the themes that we've touched on in the earlier podcast, the idea of that somehow that sometimes expressed that archives are these fixed sources through time and space, but yeah. but, act, but actually they're not. They they are interpreted and, and reinterpreted by different societies and different mindsets and different cultures depending on the prevailing mm -hmm. culture or, or the original document the doesn't change no it 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 doesn't and, and do you think the original document uh, you know and this comes back to the to the to the, the theme of neutrality in the archives do you think the original document is is a is a neutral source or has it been collected from a particular you know with a particular mindset well quite agree and the fact is that there is that as well, who actually provided the evidence. You could say, you know, for example, the Dundas situation was in the Caledonian Mercury. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be the son of the day or the express. 
and therefore it could have a bias, you know, in terms of what was stated. But unless we can go beyond that to to to, to check the, you know, the 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 the, um, the, the witting or the unwitting of that, then we've got what's written there, and thus we are coming from there. Now people can say it's the Caledonian Mercury, so it's a newspaper, but that's not in debate. Um, thinking about our our understanding or, or awareness of the, of the broader history of, um, of of slavery in the United Kingdom, mm -hmm. um, if I could just quote you briefly, um, something that's on the website of the Archives and Records Association, there's a slavery mm -hmm. and archival evidence statement, and, and it states, as the custodians of the nation's heritage, it is incumbent upon us to ensure the shameful period in our history is not only preserved, but is widely known. Mm. The, the provision of documentary evidence is central to refuting those who seek to downplay or deny the crimes against humanity perpetrated by all aspects of the slavery system. But I, I wondered, in, in terms of this documentary evidence that is, that is referred to here and you've talked about, do, mm. do you, do you, have you found that researching archival evidence in relation to slavery, um, frustrating in terms of what's missing from the record and perhaps deliberately missing from the record? Yeah, in a sense that, you know, the, the, what I was just talking about, the, the fact that Dundas said that black people are slaves and, and that, you know, and the judges in the courts actually said the same, that is not that has not been included by a story. They've left it out because it doesn't fit in then with their view of Dundas. And therefore, when, if you look at that, then that, to me, it is, his behavior then is consistent with him gradually abolishing the slave trade. It's consistent. So it's additional evidence, you know? Uh, but the point is that if you leave that out, then that is used by historians, and by his relative and other people who support him to say, but he did a good job for Joseph Knight in, the, in, in that case. So he can't altogether be a bad person. Evidence is critical because if you find that it is consistent from you know, that case to, to, to him gradually, then that strengthens the position, which one of his relatives, um, Lord, Lord Coburn said he was a, he was a, a despotic dictator, as his relative, which fits I, the evidence. I wonder, um, could I ask you, in terms of your, your experience again of, of this historical research, mm -hmm. um, has it given you a greater understanding or has it just reinforced what you already knew about the, the, the mindset that, that, that was behind um, you know, the keeping of 18th and 19th century records and, and, and the wider um, perception of, of, of black people. I mean, has research in the archives re reinforced your perception of that discrimination and that racism or, 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 or has it um, given you a better understanding? It, it, is, um, it has given me, it's both, you know, in a sense that if you look at the, the archival documents of the Joseph Knight case written by hand, Okay, so they were not uh, gone into type. <laughs> so those are the original documents, which I got from the, uh, you know, one of the uh, in, uh, uh, archives in Edinburgh. And when you look at that, I know that, you know, the N word is from slavery and it's negative 
and it's about black people being inferior, dodgy, incapable, you know, not um, got an original thought in their heads. The point is that we, I knew all that. The point is that when I looked at those documents, handwritten, it says in there as the argument for enslavement, you know, um, uh, slavery is legal, you know, in the West Indies. Um, slavery is necessary. The black people can take the sun more than white people. So that's a justification for their enslavement. And therefore, all that is written. And therefore, when you look at that, the mindset then was to almost, um, it's called teleology, but it is then de developing a case to justify enslavement. And when you look at that, the point is that what it also tells you, they knew it was wrong. But the point is that if you have a necessity, as they wrote, and necessity is a very important concept, then in fact, they said this was wrong, but we needed the money. And that was done there. So the, the archival evidence for me provided me with an argument, which if you're talking about methodology, the importance of a methodology in science is that the reader can go back and check the evidence that you've cited, which a lot of historians and stuff like people like that thinking, you know, Tom Devine, the basis of our argument today is, oh, he said in 2015. Um, so that's like an archive. 2015 in his book, he said, that Dundas supported, uh, you know, the slave owners, and they gave him grateful thanks for delaying the abolition of the slave trade for a generation. He now says he's changed his mind. But I said, the evidence hasn't changed that you left. What's the evidence that now occasion that you change your mind? And he hasn't got any. He says, the French Revolution. I then says, I've got the archival statement of Dundas referring to the French Revolution, where he said in his speech in 1796 that he has no fear of the French fleet or, 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 or army. You know, he's not interested. He's more interested in slave rebellions and the French fermenting rebellion of the slaves. So here's a historian says he's changed his mind from his own evidence with a, a, a French Revolution story, which he cannot justify. And that's the critical aspect of, 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 of evidence, especially, um, you know, what would be termed archival evidence. And that's why I managed, I think, to get the council to, 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 you know, with the help of other people. I see it as a Scottish victory, the victory of the Scottish people rather than me. The point is that, I provided them with consistent evidence and they have changed the plaque to put slavery on Dundas's plaque for the first time in, in 200 years on the basis of evidence. I wonder, could I ask you about what you feel about the role of archivists and all of this? You know, archives don't keep themselves. There, there's a person behind yeah. that. And, and I wondered, you, do you feel, well, I mean, not so much archivists back in the 18th or early 19th century but today 
do you think archivists have responsibility to ensure that in terms of the decision-making process on what to keep and what to dispose of, that mm -hmm. they, they need to be representative of all aspects of society and their work? I think they should have been like that before we had a diverse society. Yes. <laughs> you know, they should have, uh, the very fact that they kept Dundas's letter, which I, which a, a member of one of my lectures who, who attended my lectures actually informed me of that. He gave me the code to the letter and I took it, you know, to the institution and they searched for it, brought it out, gave it to me and I made a copy and they charged me seven pounds, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's the best seven pounds I've ever spent because they kept that letter not knowing this letter has been kept for, 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 for over 200 years. Nobody knew it was going to have this effect today. So a job of an archivist, I feel, is to collect that information without any prejudices at all. And, and that's why, uh, 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 you know, um, an, an, an archive, if it's what I think it should be, is that the documents are collected without any prejudices or any views. Because if, 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 if um, um, historians were collecting um, documents from my experience, then in fact, some of those documents would, would be, be discarded with because they're saying, well, I don't think that fits the story. And I think there's a very great difference between those two points of view. Yeah, that's interesting. You say you, you believe that archivists should um, um, uh, you make decisions without prejudice. Yes. Um, but, but I guess the, the question I was really trying to get at was, sh should they be making decisions based on trying to be agents for change in society you know in in, in in actually not prejudice but uh, but being subjective in terms of decision making and saying well actually those records although traditionally they might not be deemed to have been important actually they will be very important in telling the the stories of say the lives of poor people or a marginal or a marginalized community that that you know, whether archivists being that the, the the guardians or the gatekeepers of evidence should actually be making decisions that are that not not certainly not prejudiced, but also not entirely neutral either. I, I think I, I you know I believe they should collect what's collectible. I know they can't collect everything, but I think that if you start making that decision that this might be more important for this or that community, then in fact um, you know you you start putting in uh, a judgmental basis on evidence. And therefore, you would have to know the archivist, the archivist uh, did that. You see my point? Sure. For that evidence to be of any value, you would have to know that the archivist deliberately made that decision. The, the archival sector, and, and you know, it's, it's, it is wrestling with this problem at the moment, but the archival sector uh, in the United Kingdom and, and the wider heritage sector generally, particularly in Western countries, is predominantly white. Right. And, you know, that that's... You know, it'd be hard to argue that that wasn't providing an obstacle to ensuring that the stories of black people are part of the national documented record. And, and because of that, that's led to the, the creation of organizations such as Black Cultural Archives. And I interviewed the director, Eric Oka, as part of this series. 
and and I wondered if if that was a concern of yours that you know in in Western countries the the, the heritage is is still very much the heritage of um, white people and not really the stories of 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 black people who formed you know, and who given so much to this country, uh, but somehow they they seem to have been relegated to not as important. And is, is that something that's still an issue for you? No, I think a good archivist is like a good doctor. It should be able to treat, you know, any patient. Um, and, and if a doctor needs more education about treating non-white patients, he should be given it or her. And, and therefore, that's how I see it. The point is that an archivist, whether they're black or white, should collect what is available um, without prejudice. Because then if we're going to get, you know, um, um, the black history is, is, is white history as well. Because if you, you know, you can't tell it without the white uh, uh, people involved. And, and therefore, I just feel that, you know, if we've got black archives now and white archives, it's a very sad affair. Because then we will have to look at both to arrive at, you know, um, a fair um, evidence if we're going to make decisions from. So whether it's a black archive or a white archive, they should be collecting the same thing, the same evidence. I wonder, are you familiar with the expression that's used quite a lot now, um, decolonizing the archive? It's, right. it's something I've talked about with um, the other interviews in this podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but and I wondered if you, if you have any thoughts about that. You know, it's this kind of reinterpretation of of the record, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and an ownership of our colonial past, mm -hmm. uh, and taking responsibility for um, shining a light on that um, through the archival evidence. I mean, do, do you, are you comfortable with that phrase, decolonizing the archive? I always say to my students, you know, and when people start to say things, I say, well, what do you mean by that? Could you define decolonize for me? Well, it's not I my... They can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those phrases that everyone's banding about and, and using right. widely, but probably, as you've done, if you sat them down and said, what do you mean by it? A lot of people would probably struggle with it. Right, and that, therefore it's meaningless. <laughs> um, in, in, in an earlier podcast from the series, Professor uh, Michelle Caswell um, sp spoke about um, the influence of, as, as I think had been described by another academic, the white, ethnically European, bourgeois, Christian, heterosexual, able-bodied male presence mainstream world outlook in archives in terms of what is kept and what is dismissed. Uh -huh. and, and I wonder how you, you, you felt about that, 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 that archives, you know, not so much now, but certainly in the past were very much the, the preserve of this, um, you know, white European uh, male, you know, privileged uh, out, uh, um, section of society that give a particular um, uh, outlook and take on things. Uh, you know, I reckon that the, we're more danger of we're in more danger of that happening today. You know that that great long description you've just given. <laughs> it is less likely to have happened, funnily enough, two hundred years ago, because then they reckon it was okay to enslave black people, so they 
collected all the evidence. The evidence is there. It, it, it's what I'm more fearful of is today, where an archivist may be now being influenced because the, you know, saying negative things about black people is probably not regarded as a, a, a thing you don't want to be associated with. So there, you know, the evidence is, is, is either being collected or not collected now for political and social reasons. And, and what I believe is the evidence of the past that has been collected is probably more reliable because they felt no need to manipulate it. Well, that's really interesting. Um, I wonder, could I ask you, just as we draw this conversation to close, no problem. Uh, about your, your, your early life? You know, uh -huh. I, I understand you were born and lived in Jamaica until you were 14 years or 11 yeah. months old or, or there or thereabouts. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and you mentioned, I think you referenced was it Jamaican telephone, telephone directory yeah. earlier. And I wondered, you know, were you, have you been able to distinguish any difference between how archives are kept in, in, in a country like Jamaica as opposed to, 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 to Scotland or, or the UK? I don't have any, you know, I'm not an expert on, on Jamaican archives or even British archives. Mm -hmm. However, in Jamaica, I know, and I've got, you know, copies of letters which have sent to me by the, the, the library in Jamaica a long time ago, where they've kept records of slavery. Um, and those records, some of, a lot of them are handwritten, and they're there. And I don't think anybody in Jamaica... Um, would have thought of destroying things um, um, because it was just a, a record of, of slavery. The point is, as I said, the danger is, 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 is um, today that, as you've said yourself, you know, um, referring to white superiority, black um, views, this and that. Now, all those views we're going to make um, the what is collected um, by archives extremely difficult to use as as evidence of the time, which is very sad. Well, um, Jeff, it's been really fascinating talking to you. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I've been really enjoying the, the the debates on social media and the press, and and the trolls, but I've had some support. But I did tell the trolls that I'm from a very tough part of Kingston, Jamaica, <laughs> and a very tough part of Haringey in London, and a very, you know, um, not as tough part in Scotland, but I've got 3% of my genes are Viking from Shetland. Ah, right. Combined <laughs> with my African genes, my, my wife actually said, it explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you probably haven't made it until in life until you've got a few trolls on Twitter. So, and I'm sure that with your, with your background and your genes, you'll be, nice. you'll be able to well cope with them. So, <laughs> so, so, so Jeff, I, I just, good luck with your ongoing you know, work and your, particularly your anti-racism um, work uh, uh, and your battle with the historians. I'm, I'm sure that uh, they are all the archival evidence that you'll be able to, um, to, to use, uh, you'll, you'll win out in the end. So thank well, you. Yeah. And thank you very much. And I just want the last word, you know, is that of course. I just said, academics, institutions, because of, say, the situation with Hume or Dundas or Kant, 
that academic institution could change a whole load of um, uh, racist attitudes and other attitudes by coming out and say, Hume said that, Dundas said that, or Kant said that, and that race hasn't got a scientific validity. That would change an enormous amount of attitudes more than any politician. Well, that's a perfect note to end this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.